Okay, happy Father's Day again. And um, just to make it clear, what you see before you is not a dad bod. It's a father figure. <laughs> You're welcome, okay? Um, we are continuing our... We're continuing our series looking at the church as a community of the Holy Spirit. And um, today we're going to be looking at spiritual gifts. So we're going to be in a, quite a well-known passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If you have your Bible, please open there. And um, we are gathered here today in the power of God. Do you believe that? And we're gathered here today in the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. And we're gathered in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And really today, that's what we're looking at. We're looking at the power of God in the community, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit in the community, and the fact that it's all by the grace of Jesus Christ. And... Um, what we, what we see when we come to talk about spiritual gifts, it's, it's, it's very easy to get caught up in the kind of the how or the what, and really I want us to take a little bit of a step back today and talk about the why. So why does it matter that we experience spiritual gifts when we gather together as a church? Why does it matter that we're excited about a dynamic of the Holy Spirit where someone brings a tongue, where someone prophesies, where someone brings a song, where someone prays for the sick? And it's because the world is broken, and it's broken because of human sin, and God has an amazing plan that he's centered in Jesus Christ to fix what is broken and to make a new world and to do it through... Us. Just look at the person next to you. Look at them. Look at them. And say to them, God is making a new world through you. And then if you need to laugh, you can laugh. And now look at yourself and say, and God is making a new world through me. Through this. And so, when we gather and we experience spiritual gifts together, it's not just about having a different kind of meeting that's a bit more interesting and a bit more spontaneous. It's part of what God is doing in terms of making the world new through this community, in the power of God, through the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, and in the grace of Jesus. And that's what we're going to look at today. So, let's get into 1 Corinthians chapter 12 going to read a few verses, talk about them, carry on, and we're going to go to verse 11 today. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. We need to do a little bit of Greek, okay? Some of you get annoyed when we do a little bit of Greek. Some of you appreciate it. But it is one of these things where we just have to zoom out a little bit 
and understand what Paul's trying to do, because he invents a brand new word in this passage, a word that had never existed before, and Paul invented it, okay? So, in verse 1, when he says, concerning, concerning spiritual gifts, he uses a word that, that they would have been familiar with, and the word is pneumatica, which means things that come from the wind. So, pneuma can mean wind or spirit, and so they're talking about spiritual things that happen, okay? And when you say that, you kind of need to wave your hands around. It was spiritual things that happen. Uh, it's where we get the word pneumatic from, like a pneumatic drill, which uh, has compressed air blowing through it. So it's a word that talks about the, the spiritual things blowing through your meeting that are impersonal, maybe powerful, but a little bit kind of supernatural, esoteric, dispassionate. So it's not talking about a personal thing here. It's just talking about a kind of spiritual experience. That's what the Corinthians were used to experiencing and talking about. Paul brings a corrective by inventing a whole new word. In verse 4, it's translated for us. There are varieties of gifts. And the word Paul invents is charismata. So it comes from the word charis, which means grace, a free gift, a gift given to someone who doesn't deserve it. If you deserve it, then it's not charis. If you can earn it, then it's not charis, okay? So a charis is a free gift given to someone by grace. Paul invents a word by sticking a little bit on the end, and he goes, grace things, okay? So the Corinthians were talking about spiritual things, and Paul says, okay, I want to explain them to you, but I'm going to explain them to you as grace things. So it's like they were talking about spiritual gifts. And Paul says, no, 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 we're going to talk about spiritual gifts. So he's bringing a corrective. He's bringing a new emphasis. It's not about the spirituality. It's about the fact that it's grace from our Father. Does that make sense? And it's a word that came into our language today, and now we talk about someone being charismatic. You know, Kanye West, he's charismatic. Idris Elba, he's charismatic, right? But actually, that's completely the wrong meaning, because the whole point of this word, charismatic, means something that's from grace, something that's not earned, something that anyone can have. When we talk about charismatic, we talk about it as being something that special people have. It's completely the opposite. You with me? That's all the Greek we're going to do. Right. <laughs> so, diversity and grace. The big focus that Paul is trying to bring here into the church community is spiritual gifts are a celebration of the diversity of the body of Christ and the grace of God. Okay? One of the major characteristics of Corinthian society, so this city in the south of Greece in the first century, was that everybody was tussling and bustling and competing for who were the most important people in the city. They had a big list in the middle of the city of the most important people. Can you imagine? And your whole goal in life was to be on that list. And when they had big feasts in the city, everyone would sit in order of importance. And your whole goal in life was to move up the table to be nearer the important people. This was the vibe in Corinth. And it, so you spend your whole life trying to make connections with important people, inviting them to your house, trying to marry your daughter to an important rich man. 
saffron. It's not Corinth. You spend your whole life trying to fit in with the important people. And this has totally sneaked into church life. And so we see it all the way through 1 Corinthians. Paul's trying to correct this. Right? So some people say, oh, my apostle is Peter. And other people say, well, my apostle is Apollos. And others say, well, my apostle is Paul. You know, they're competing for who they know and how well connected they are. And the Lord's Supper in chapter 11, the chapter before this, the whole issue that he's arguing about in the Lord's Supper is that the rich people that don't have to go to work are turning up early with all the good food, with all the good wine, and then they can't wait for everyone else, so they start eating. And then when the slaves and the hardworking people finish work and make it tired to the church meeting, all the food's already gone, and he says, that's not the Lord's Supper. You're supposed to be one body. You're supposed to wait for each other. You're supposed to celebrate. And that's why he says in verse 29 of chapter 11, anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. How dare you come to the Lord's table and not wait for your brother and sister? And this whole section of 1 Corinthians from chapter 10 through to chapter 14 has this refrain that goes through it, when you gather, when you gather and have the Lord's Supper, when you gather and worship, when you gather and pray. And so it's talking about the gathering. And this chapter we're looking at is talking about church meetings. But not just church meetings on a Sunday, when you gather in life groups. And if you're new here, one of the best things about church is life groups. Okay? Because it's a small group of people. You get to make good friends and get to know people well in their homes. Often you get to eat food. That's good. But also, when it comes to things like spiritual gifts and everyone contributing, that's much easier to do and to practice. It can be quite nerve-wracking coming up here in front of 300, 400 people. But having a go at trying to prophesy in front of 10 people, that's okay. They're not going to laugh at you too bad if you get it wrong. Okay? And so Life Group is one of the best places in church, and I'd encourage you to connect. And so he's talking about when the church gathers. And the first miracle, friends is that everyone's in the room. That in a place like Corinth, where there were no spaces where different people would interact, you've got rich people and poor people together. You've got people with jobs and people that don't have jobs. You've got Jews and Gentiles. You've got men and women. You've got slave and free, all together worshiping Jesus. That's the first miracle. And I'll tell you something. Reading is not too difficult, too different from Corinth. Most social, cultural spaces in Reading are not very diverse. Yeah? Workplaces. If you work in Green Park, nearly everyone went to university, right? If you work in the trade, most people have come from a working class background. So jobs, they're not very diverse spaces. Postcodes are definitely not very diverse because everyone on your road earns about the same as you. That's why they can afford to be on the same road as you. Most people's friendship circles are not very diverse because most people hang out with people like them. So when we're in church, and again, look around you, this is one of the most uniquely diverse spaces in the town of Reading because God is doing something extraordinary. So the first miracle is that people are in the room. But what spiritual gifts does is it takes that to another level and it lets us hear from God and see God through each other. Because it would still be possible to preserve existing sinful 
hierarchies in the church space. You know, let the educated people talk and the not educated people not talk, right? Or let the men talk and make the women sit down. So we could bring what's out there and bring it into the church, and Paul is fighting that tooth and nail and saying spiritual gifts allow us to see the way God is making a new world starting in this room. So a charismatic meeting is not just about the meeting. It's about a dynamic taste of a new society that God is building, starting with the family of God, starting with the church. Do you understand? Some of you do. Imagine in Corinth, on Sunday... A slave gets up and brings a prophetic word with spiritual authority and God is on him. And his master is sitting there and is touched by this word. On Monday morning at work, it's going to change their relationship, isn't it? Because I see God in you. Imagine in church on Sunday, a woman brings a an interpretation to a tongue that is rich and full of the Bible and beautiful and revelatory and and a man is touched and he's weeping. When he sees her on the street on Wednesday, he's going to treat her differently as a sister in Christ with dignity and respect, isn't he? So what happens in here changes us out there. It's transformative. And that's the power of spiritual gifts and the fact that they're grace gifts which means you can't earn them, you don't deserve them, and actually the less deserving you are, the more likely you are to receive them. Because that's how the kingdom of God works. God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. And Chrysostom, the fourth century preacher from Constantinople, said about this passage, he said, in that it has been granted to you to receive from the same source as the other, you have equal honor. So that even if there is a difference in the gift, there remains no difference in the giver. So the Corinthians might have been saying, oh, tongues are more important than other gifts. Chrysostom's going, actually, it doesn't matter which gift you think is more important. The point is you've all received grace from the same giver. So you're equal. Because no one deserves it and everyone's received a gift of grace. And then we come to verse 7. To each is given, this is a beautiful verse, right? I love this verse. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So to each person here, are you an each? Then that includes you. Is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And manifestation means kind of outshining, something invisible becoming visible. Something becoming seen. It's not what our young people are talking about at the moment when they talk about manifesting your destiny, which is like, I really want an Audi, so I'm going to manifest one. (laughs) I really want to pass my A-levels, I'm going to manifest. You know, it's, it's not an act of willpower or a gift from the universe, right? It's not what we're talking about. But we're talking about the manifestation of the Spirit, something invisible becoming visible through a spiritual gift. So you can't see God, but when... Jess comes up and brings a a, a prophetic song, we feel like we're encountering God somehow. And Kiampa and Rosner, they say this, the gifts of the Spirit may be manifestations of the Spirit which celebrate God's attributes, wisdom, knowledge, power to heal, power over nature, discernment, etc. By actualizing or manifesting those attributes in ways which promote the common good and in doing so bring God glory. 
So in other words, they show us something about God. If God is wise, then a gift of wisdom shows you something about God. If God knows everything, then a word of knowledge shows you something about God. If God has power over nature, then a miracle shows you something about God. So it takes something of the character of God and brings it into the room and holds it up for everybody to see. And everyone goes, wow, God is compassionate. Wow, God is merciful. Wow, God forgives sins. Yeah, it shows us something about God, manifest. And it says, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given, not has been given, past tense, is given, dynamic, present moment in the room. In the room, gifts are being sprinkled on the body in the moment. So what is my spiritual gift is the wrong question. For so, for so many reasons, right? Partly because it's completely me-focused. But partly because it's not talking about you have this gift and you have this gift. He's saying, when you gather, each of you who have received grace from God, the, the dynamic manifestation of the Spirit could come out in different ways in the room. And we're going to get into what that looks like. Because when you received grace from God, what actually did you receive? What is grace from God? Actually, we received the Lord himself in the Lord Jesus and in the gift of the Spirit. Because God is three in one, because the Holy Spirit is divine, is God himself. So Michael Reeves says it like this. He says, the life that the Spirit gives is not an abstract thing. In fact, it's not primarily something that he gives at all. The Spirit gives us his very self, that we might know and enjoy him. And so his fellowship is with the Father and the Son. So God is not like the milkman who every day leaves a little bit of a blessing on your, on your doormat, your daily milk. It's not, oh, here's a grace from God. It's not a thing that we get from God. We've opened the door and God has come into our homes with all that he is, with all that he has. So when you receive the Holy Spirit, you're receiving God. And that's why you can't say, oh, I think his gift is better than my gift. What are you talking about? You've got the fullness of the creator of the universe dwelling with you by the gift of the Spirit. What more do you want? So it smashes competition and envy and rivalry. And looking over at your brother or your sister and going, why are they more blessed than me? What could be more blessed than receiving everything that God is through the gift of his son? So you've received him. And then so the spiritual gifts we're talking about are outshinings of the grace that you've received, which is God's life himself. Am I making sense? And so when we come to this list of gifts, and this is what we're going to go through now. Reading from verse 8. For, for to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, and to another faith by the same Spirit, and to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, and to another the working of miracles, and to another prophecy, and to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, and to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. And all of these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. 
And what you hear in that list is this rhythm of to another, to another, to another, to another. And so if you in this room are another, then that's you as well, right? Even God can throw spiritual gifts, believe it or not, as far as the back row. Give me a wave back row. You know God can throw gifts that far, right? So a few things about this list, and then we'll just ping through it. Number one, this list is not comprehensive, okay? It is not these are the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit. Here's my little tick list in my diary. Tick them all, or I've done that one, or I've done that one. There are different gifts that pop up in the epistles, and uh, there are different lists of gifts, and some of them have the same gifts in them, and some of them have different gifts in them. So this is a sampling This is a a bunch of examples of what spiritual gifts can look like. Secondly, in 1 Corinthians, there are three lists of spiritual gifts. And in all of them, Paul puts tongues and interpretation last. Why does he do that? Because for the Corinthians, they thought it was the most important gift. And so Paul just wants to demote it a little bit. He puts it last for them. It's a really cool gift. And next week, Scott is going to talk a lot about speaking in tongues. Because it's a really cool gift, and it's a really important gift, and it says a lot to us about God. But here, Paul wants to relativize it and say it's not more important than the other gifts, please, Corinthians. So he puts it at the bottom of all the lists, okay? Number three, as we've seen, there are different manifestations of the Spirit in the gathered church. It's not a question of what is my gift. My gift is prophecy. Your gift is tongues. It's not saying that. And so theoretically, any spirit-filled believer could exercise all of these gifts in their life. And there are some people here that would probably say, yeah, I've probably dabbled with all of these gifts at some time in my life. And Paul himself is seen to move in all of these in the book of Acts at different times. That said, later in chapter 12, we do read... These verses, these rhetorical questions to which the answer is supposed to be no. Are all apostles? No. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Do all work miracles? No. Do all possess gifts of healing? No. Do all speak with tongues? No. Do all interpret? No. So if the answer to all these hypothetical questions is supposed to be no, why? Because he's saying if the body, if you had everything, then you wouldn't need anyone else. So you wouldn't be dependent on everyone else. You could just have your own church meeting by yourself. I'll bring a tongue, then I'll interpret it, then I'll prophesy over myself, and then I'll pray for myself, and I can do church on my own, and I don't need anybody. And he's saying it doesn't work like that. So we do not teach that every believer should move in all of these gifts, because if you could, then you wouldn't need anyone else. But we do teach that every believer could move in all of these gifts. Why? Because when you turn up on a Sunday, God could do anything. And I want you to be ready and excited for that. God could use you to bring any gift at any time. Don't get in a rut and go, well, my gift is prophecy, so that's all I'm going to do. Yeah? Maybe God's got a prophetic dance for you to bring next week. So for me, on a good day, this is how it works in practice, okay? And really, we're going to come to what do we think this looks like in Reading Family Church? For me, on a good day, I'll come to church with something in my spirit, okay? So it could be something I've read in the Bible or a, an image in my imagination. So let's say I come to church with this idea of Jesus on the throne, Jesus is king. I don't know how that is going to come out 
during the worship time, in the dynamic moment. This could be a Sunday, could be a church prayer meeting, it could be my life group. I don't know how it's going to come out, right? And so during the worship time, when the gifts start popping, and it's a little bit like when you've got your popcorn in the bottom of your pan at home. Don't buy instant popcorn. Buy the stuff that you've got to put in a pan, right? Oil, bit of popcorn. And then when it starts popping, it all goes everywhere because I forget to put the lid on. And that's what we want in church, right? No lid on it. Meeting warms up. The gifts start popping. Ping, 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 ping. Messy room. It could come out as a prayer. And I pray, Lord, you're the king on the throne. We worship you. You rule over everything. And it lifts faith in the room. It could come out like that. It could pop out like an interpretation to a tongue. So Scott brings a tongue, and as he's bringing it, I think, oh, this is about Jesus on the throne. So I can, oh, Jesus, you're the throne. And it comes out, it could come out that I turn to the person next to me and think, actually, this word in my spirit is for this individual, not for the whole room. Hey, my sister, you need to know that Jesus is on the throne, reigning over your life. It could come out as a prophetic song. You know, the Lord says to you, (laughs) the Lord says to you, I'm on the throne, reigning over everything. Yeah? So I come with something in my spirit, but I don't know how it's going to pop out. Right? On a bad day, I come with nothing in my spirit. But because they're grace gifts, when you least deserve them and when you least expect them, that's usually when you're going to move in spiritual gifts. Because they're grace gifts. So on your bad day, that is God's good day. Amen? Amen? We're just going to ping through these gifts in this list, and then we're done. And I just want to give a few examples, really. Paul doesn't explain them, uh, presumably because they knew what it was like in, in church life. So when he says word of wisdom, word of knowledge, everyone knows what he means, but we don't. So in RFC, in our church, in our kind of tradition, this is what we expect it to look like, you could say. But that said, we're not putting them in a very small theological box because we are within one tradition. So I want you to understand that God can move in ways also that that we don't understand. Does that make sense? Because it's not a tied-down, exhausted list. Is that okay, Scott? We were bashing this around a lot this week. Here we go. Word of wisdom. So to one is given the word of wisdom by the Spirit. An apt or insightful word into a situation. Again, we're in the context of the gathered church. So let's say we're in a prayer meeting and we're praying about a really difficult situation that seems stuck and we think it's either this or this. And so often what wisdom does is it shows you a surprising, creative other way through. So we're praying, is it this or this? And then someone says, how about if God was saying, try this? And everyone in the room goes, wow. Or you're praying with an individual, with a brother or a sister, and they've got something going on in their life. And as you're praying for them, you just think, you know, I just feel the Lord saying, how about you try it this way? And so a word of wisdom, it comes from the infinite bounty and wisdom of God, but it's like a key that unlocks a door in a situation specifically, and the fruit of wisdom is always peace. So everyone looks at each other and goes, wow, that's, what, that's, that's wise. That hasn't come out of someone's head. That's come from God. A word of knowledge, sharing something that you possi- couldn't possibly know naturally. But because God knows everything, he can show you. And so often up here, last week, Amelia was up here, and she said, I feel the Lord showed me there's someone sitting over here, and you've got pain in this area, and someone stood up, and we prayed for them. And so it's knowing something that you couldn't possibly know. Sometimes it's for sharing. Sometimes it's not. 
I remember on one occasion I was praying with someone uh, just in a church meeting context, and as I was praying for them, I saw written over their head in the spirit, I saw the word trauma. And so I realized, okay, this is actually a really big deal. This person's been through something. I didn't share that with them. <laughs> You're traumatized, you know. But it helped me back off, apply some wisdom, meet up later in the week with some other people, and we could work through something in a pastoral. So sometimes God shows you something to share. Sometimes God shows you something not to share. But it's something you wouldn't naturally know, okay? Number three, the gift of faith. So this isn't talking about faith in Jesus because... Faith in Jesus is something that's given to all people at all time. We walk by faith. But this is talking about in the moment, in the meeting, in the gathered congregation, there's sometimes a gift of faith that comes, and faith rises for a specific thing. Sometimes we see this in a prayer meeting. We're praying into something, and then suddenly there's a faith in the room. Yes, we've got this together, haven't we? Let's lean in. Let's put our shoulder in. I remember one time I was in a meeting. Uh, I was 19 and I was asking God some big questions about my life. And the guy leading the meeting said, right now, some of you are asking God big questions about your life. And I was like, that's me. And he said, and you're asking God how long? Right now, pray, and God's going to give you a number. He's going to tell you how long. I was like, can God do that? Is that a thing? So I closed my eyes, and I felt God say to me, 11 years. So I opened my eyes and did my maths and worked out I needed to be 30 for it to happen. Okay, And it was about moving to Turkey, and we did move to Turkey when we turned 30. But it slowed me down and settled me down. But that's not a normal thing. It was a gift of faith in the moment for a specific thing. Does that make sense? Number four, gifts of healing. Again, all Christians pray for healing. Some Christians have a developed track record in this area, and you could say they might have a ministry of healing like our friend Stenko, who's going to be with us in July from Croatia, who prays for the sick, and a lot of times they get healed. But here it's talking about gifts of healing, plural in the text. In the meeting, in the moment, God can spontaneously distribute gifts of healing by his grace to whoever he wants, for whatever purpose he wants. Number five, the working of miracles. Basically, this is anything supernatural. So a miracle is anything that couldn't happen naturally. And it's not talking about praying for miracles, praying for a breakthrough, but it's saying in a meeting, in the gathered people of God, in your home group this week on a Wednesday or a Thursday, God could give gifts of miracles. And things that have been stuck can become unstuck. And things that have been broken can become fixed. And things that are impossible can become possible in the moment. Do you believe that? Next, prophecy. And so God is a God who speaks. He speaks to his people, and he speaks through his people to one another. And um, prophecy, we believe, is always mixed, and it needs weighing. So in the next chapter, he says, we all prophesy in part. So if I prophesy, it's a bit Andy and a bit Holy Spirit, because it's coming through me with my biases, my prejudices, my thoughts. Yeah, and that's why we weigh prophecy. We sift it. Which bit was Andy? Which bit was Holy Spirit? And that's why we weigh prophecy together when we receive it from God. But we don't despise it, and we don't quench it, and we expect God to speak to us through one another. And I'll tell you a little secret. I was more prophetic when I was a newer Christian than I am now. Isn't that interesting? Like, miles more. 
And I say that to say, again, these are grace gifts. Don't, you don't necessarily grow into them. You don't necessarily work into them like developing a muscle. They're given to people. So it could be someone who's a brand new Christian that brings you a stunning prophecy. Do you understand? Next, distinguishing between spirits. Uh, so this is talking about discerning. Is it from God? Where's it come from? What's going on? And again, all Christians are called to be discerning. Some people have a particularly developed ministry in the area of discernment. In our church in Turkey, we had a Turkish uh, brother and sister, man and wife in the church. They, they were incredible. They could look at someone and see what demons were in that person. And they could just say, this is going on. in there. They could just see stuff. It was incredible. And I think some people have a... And some of you will have that. And there, there are some people that have a particularly developed discernment. But again, this is for in the meeting... Again, maybe in a prayer meeting, maybe on a Sunday, a moment of discernment of going, oof, God is really doing this, or oof, the enemy is really doing this, and we need to stand against it. And then, right at the bottom of the list, various kinds of tongues and interpretation of tongues. And I'm going to leave those because Scott's going to do them next week, so come back next week for them. So... In conclusion, and if the musicians could come, that would be beautiful. The final verse, verse 11. All of these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. And so God has a will. God has a plan. He's a father. And in God, every day is Father's Day. And Father's Day isn't about us giving gifts to him. It's about him giving gifts to us. And so the Father gives grace gifts. Grace gifts. So if you think to yourself, I really don't deserve this, then it's probably for you, right? And sometimes we have a desire and you think, oh, I'd really love to prophesy. Or I'd really love to be able to pray for sick people and see them healed. Then receive gifts, receive grace from the Father today. Maybe you think, I'd love to speak in tongues, and Scott hasn't even explained it to us yet. Receive a grace gift, yeah? So a gift is not predicated on understanding. It's not predicated on being good enough, on being ready enough. We're talking about a father who basically has like a big vat in heaven and just loves dumping it out on his people. Because here, he's making a new world. And he's showing the world something about himself and his redemptive purpose through the church. There was a preacher in the 16th century called Richard Sibbs. And Richard Sibbs, uh, he described the gathered church community, church meetings, as being a little bit like the, the, the early morning singing of the birds in your garden. So if you sat in your garden at half past four in the morning and sat there for a couple of hours, you'd find that as the sun comes up, different birds start singing. And I sit there, it sounds nice, I don't know what any of them are. Scott's got an app called Merlin. Apparently it can tell you what all the different birds are. But he says, as the sun rises, the different birds start to raise their voices and start to sing. And you get like this orchestra, like this beautiful chorus of the different things being drawn out. And Richard Sibbs said, the Holy Spirit is like a conductor in an orchestra in the church meeting. And so he's like, over here a tongue. Over here, an interpretation. Over here, a gift of healing. Over here, a prophecy. Over here, a song or a prayer of thanks or a scripture reading. And so you get this wonderful, diverse orchestra where we hear each other's voices. And I'll say this, finally. 
if you've been coming to Reading Family Church for a while and we've never heard your voice, why not? That's not a rebuke. It's an invitation. We need each other's voices. You lot are going to get bored of having the same voices all the time, yeah? We need each other's voices. Let's stand. Let's worship together.